Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Want to remind you, customers can get the fantastic iPhone X for 50% off with FlexLease. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Joining us now, of course, he does weekly, part of your NBA Daily Assist. Writes for The Athletic. He's our good friend, Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. Hello, guys. How the heck are you? Hey, we're doing terrific. It's a beautiful day here in Salt Lake City, and we actually have some game action from last night to talk about. What did you think of the Raptors' performance against the shorthanded Warriors? Yeah, I mean, they got the job done. You know what I mean? It's, you're talking about it's beyond undermanned. It's a all-star, you know, multiple all-stars not on the floor, and they hit threes. You know, that was the big thing. And not only that, there wasn't much rim defense. Marcus Cousins, you know, did not, uh, wasn't able to kind of replicate the magic that he had in game two, and, you know, and then here we are. I mean, but let's not kid ourselves. I mean, the idea of the Raptors losing that game with Clay and Kevin being out, you know, and Kevon Looney as well is, uh, is something that, you know, you know, nobody really thought would happen, so they, they took care of business. So, Sam, what effect does this have on the Warriors moving forward, even though they get Clay back? Do you think it dented their psyche at all, or do you think it's right back to business? Um... I'd say mostly right back to business, except they're, you know, they're still dealing with the uh, Kevin Durant elephant in the room and that idea that, you know, now it's like, all right, is it going to be game five? Is, you know, and, and if once they're down 3-1 and it's game five, and we wanting to come back at that point. So I think that probably still has them a little bit off kilter. And, and even some reports of maybe Kevon Looney shocking the world and getting back in this series. But... It's you know I think specifically it's a matter of play and how that hamstring is feeling and if you can be the same guy that he is typically because if he is that changes everything and and maybe they even this thing out going back to Toronto. Sam, part owner of the Warriors, Mark Stevens, uh, ended up shoving, I think is the best word for it, Kyle Lowry after he had fall, uh, fallen into the stands. And we found out today that the NBA has handed down a punishment, a half-million-dollar fine, and he's banned for the next year from any uh, Warriors game or uh, Warriors-related activity. What do you think about this situation and how the NBA has handled it and, and ultimately the punishment? I mean, they're obviously jumping on it. Um Kyle Lowry talked about it today, obviously, and I think Kyle and I talked to him after his press conference. Uh, he, he's probably unsatisfied by the punishment because he does not believe that Mark should be able to be a minority owner anymore. So that would obviously involve, you know, divesting uh, or selling his shares. And right now, anyway, it does not appear that's going to be forced upon him. But it's obviously that's pretty hefty. Fine. It's a guy, I mean, everything's relative, right? The guy's worth $2.4 billion reportedly, and he's a major uh, mover and shaker in the tech world, and he made a terrible choice, you know? And not only that, I'm sure you guys have been tracking the media stuff. It's not just the shove. I mean, he literally sat there and 
and uh, and told Kyle multiple times to go f himself. And it's like you know, a fan alone is bad enough to do that. To have somebody who is a stakeholder in the team uh, should—I mean, it, it goes without saying that he should know better. And, and you know, it's incredible to me that fans still do stuff like this because if you go to an NBA game, you know, there's warning signs everywhere. There's protocol, and they tell you like you're there to watch a game and have a good time. You're not there to. And you guys dealt with it earlier this year with the Russell Westbrook situation. And uh, you know, it's, and I, I think that this argument that says no punishment is is too stiff. Let's be honest; he's going to be fine. Otherwise, like you just this is a vanity thing that he he does on the side, but you know, just a, a bad look for sure. So, what happens next in this series, Sam? What do you what What are some key points you're looking for? Um, well, I mean, the, the Raptors' defense and you know, schematically, what they've tried to do these last couple games is interesting. Obviously, when Clay was still playing, you know, they had the boxing one that everybody talked so much about, and, and even though they were kind of mocked for it. It's like Steph Curry was held scoreless in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, for the most part, it worked. You know what I mean? And then they went to much more conventional defense in game three. And, uh, and, and so now, you know, what are they going to do in game four? Obviously, Clay and whether or not he's out there, that's a big factor. Um, you know, I look at the Raptors and just they have an inconsistent bunch in terms of Kyle Lowry will give you you know, 23 one night and two the next night. And some of their shooters, you know, will will come and go. But they've got firepower. And the, the one thing I think we continue to overlook in this discussion about who the Warriors are missing is just that, you know, the defensive side of the ball, you could argue that that's the even more important part of having Clay and Kevin both. They're both very good defenders, especially when Kevin's engaged. You know, he's an elite defender with his length. And, and Clay's, you know, an all-defense guy for the first time this year. Um, the inability to slow down the Raptors is, is massive because, you know, the, they still have firepower on the offensive end. The Warriors do, you know, Steph going off for 45 and whatnot. But uh, they miss those guys on both ends. Sam Amick from The Athletic with us, your NBA Daily Assist. Sam, what did you make of the trade reported today? The Nets able to get off Alan Crabb's $18.5 million contract, opening up two max slots. Is it uh, this Kyrie Irving and someone else, or Kyrie Irving and D'Angelo Russell? What would you make of what's going on? Yeah, super interesting. I mean, it's that time of year where now, you know, it's a case of like, do they know, do they, you know, do they already have intel that he's definitely coming, that Kyrie wants to come? Because it's one of those moves that, you know, you're giving up two first-round picks. That, that's You don't take that lightly, and you don't do that lightly. So uh, the ripple effect here, if that's the case, could be pretty mag, you know, just pretty, pretty massive, I guess. Because if Kyrie wants to do Brooklyn, let's say that is the case, you know, then does Kevin Durant not have anybody going with him to New York? And in that case, does he stay put with the Warriors? Does he maybe try the Clippers? You know, there's been some reporting this week and other outlets that uh, Kawhi Leonard, you know, possibly be signing a one- or two-year deal to stay in Toronto. So, you know, there's part of me that feels like after all this discussion, in the absence of some of these stars having the perfect situation with the co-star of their choosing in that new city, you know, maybe we end up getting surprised and seeing guys like Kawhi and Kevin, you know, come back to the uh, the squads that they were part of before, you know, but that's what's going to make July so interesting. You think, Sam, there might be some scraps available to outfits like the Jazz? 
Uh, we shall see. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of teams with max slots and uh, and a whole lot of money. I think it might be tough for Utah to get a big man guy, but there's certainly some role guys that are going to be out there who could fit well. Sam Amick with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Sam, I, I heard you participated in a little pickup game with uh, the media. How'd that go? <laughs> yeah, we got any more questions, guys? That's not something I want to talk about. <laughs> Come on, Sam. You're yeah, still I'm, young enough and athletic enough to take oh, it to man. man. I mean, I'm hurting today. I'm on that second-day soreness. You can probably hear it in my voice. It didn't, doesn't help that uh, – we're running around. I haven't even eaten any food today. So not treating my body very well. Had a good time. It was fun. Uh, did not anticipate it being live streamed. I heard that like <laughs> somewhere between 70,000 and 80,000 people actually watch the thing, which people have got to find something better to do with their time. Uh, my line at the end of the night, 15-minute running clock game, was a, uh, an Easter egg on the scoring front. Uh, I think two rebounds, a block, and, uh, and one – you know, would be steal that could have changed the game at the very end that, that not only went off my fingertips and out of bounds, but, but left me with a sprained middle finger. So it was, uh, it was uh, Yeah, but at least you're burning some calories out there, my friend. No doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. And it was fun. I mean, it's, I enjoyed, you know, a lot of my colleagues and actually brought my family down there. My wife and two little boys came and watched and got to meet a bunch of people. So it was, I mean, it was a great time. I mean, listen, we're lucky to cover this stuff. And, uh, and it was fun. Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, shout out to Chris. He put the whole thing together, had it sponsored by T-Mobile. It was incredible. It's, media basketball games have been a thing in the finals for, you know, since the beginning of time, but it's never been on this level at all. Well, Sam, thank you as always, and good luck with that finger. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. See you. <laughs> See you, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Sam Amick of The Athletic, your NBA daily assist. You didn't want to talk about it. Well, he had a block. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> had a couple of boards, a near steal, which only mildly injured him. How old is Sam now? Oh man, well I I don't know. He's got to be in his thirties, though, don't you think? Oh yeah, at least I'd say that. Maybe early forties. Only 40s. because he's such a mature guy. Uh, he's uh, I think he's actually your same age. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. So he's thirty-eight. He also he tweeted out that his his uh, I think eleven-year-old came up to him and asked him how to go, Dad, and he said I <laughs> scored zero points and. <laughs> And uh, his kid said, lame <laughs> <laughs> He's got those young boys probably just killing him on that. That's good. Uh, but Sam, uh, Sam's always the best. And uh, what he brought up with kind of that trickle down to the Jazz, you asked him uh, You asked him that question. I think that's what the Jazz are, are, have got to be trying to figure out is what's actually going to be available and what options are likely to be out there. Would that be something if everyone stayed where they are? After all this talk, After there's, all no, this. there's no way that KD's going to stay with Golden State, is he? I could see that happening because does he really want to go to the Knicks where he's going to be the only guy, much like what LeBron has gone through with the, with the Lakers this past year? Because, Nobody wants to do that. Because KD's not at the point of his career where you're going to take a while to build around him. Does right. that make any sense? Right. Uh-huh. I think what a lot of people missed with the Lakers stuff is LeBron went there to win immediately, not to have Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball develop around him. He's, he's for lack of a better way to put it, he's too old for that. <laughs> Kevin Durant's not – it's not young KD with, with OKC where you can develop around each other into a formidable team. He's got to go somewhere where he can win. Yeah. And so – So why is he leaving Golden State? Well, that's kind of what Sam was saying. That's that's really interesting. If, if he doesn't want to go to Brooklyn and Kyrie doesn't want to go to New York, 
He's not going to go to New York where he's going to be a one-man show. He'd Why did he ever want to go to New York? Oh, to, to be a star in the Big Apple and to bring the Knicks back to glory. And he's got some relationship with the, 20 years. With the Knicks front office that yeah. uh, used to be in Oklahoma City. So his agent is stationed in New York. I mean, there's a lot of reasons out there, but he's not going to. He's not going to sacrifice his career like LeBron did to go to Hollywood. I don't think that's what Durant's going to do. That's None why none of which had anything to do with basketball, by the way. Right, but that's why the Clippers being out there—that's so interesting because he could still leave Golden State and maybe pair with Kawhi in L.A. Oh, that would be. Can you imagine those two together? Oh man, they'd be really good. I mean, especially if they would be able to hang on to Patrick Beverly and a couple of other those those glue guys that kind of keep it together. I mean, it would be awesome. That would be something to watch. But if he can't team up with another star, then why would he leave Golden right. State? Just sign another one-off deal or whatever mm-hmm. and wait and see what options are out there for you next year. So, And, and wouldn't that be interesting? Because then that would actually be bad for the Jazz because then there's another max slot in the Big Apple that somebody <laughs> else isn't using. And so... Plus, you got to continue to deal with uh, Kevin Durant on a regular basis. Right. In the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. I think I think if you're, if you're looking for the Jazz to land a free agent, root for chaos. You want people moving. You want, you want all that salary being spent. So you want this offseason to be as exciting as possible right. everywhere else. Yeah. You don't want Kemba Walker staying in Charlotte. You don't want uh, Kevin Durant staying in Golden State. But you do want the Sixers to hold on to Jimmy. You, yeah, you do want the Sixers because that way then they have to make a tough decision on Tobias Harris. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just is. And, can, and, we just, can we just skip ahead to all that right now? I don't well, know. We the, still get some finals to take care of. I and guess. the draft might be awesome. What happens in the draft, the maneuvering in the draft might be might be something to watch. Is that going to be an indicator of what's coming next? Oh, yeah. Agency? Oh, yeah. Did you see that uh, Zion has been invited to the, uh, the Team USA camps? Has he? Thought Pro- I read that somewhere. Probably not a big surprise. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, it's, let's get going with it, man. Let's just go. Want to remind you about our friends at uh, Youth Conference Football. They introduced their new flag football league. Boys and girls ages 5 to 7 learn to play, love the game, have a great experience. Come play flag football. Sign up today at UteConferenceFootball.org. We'll have more coming up next. We have the Not Sports Report at 4.50. Eric Walden of the Salt Lake Tribune will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. He covers the jazz for the trip. So we'll talk to Eric. Stay tuned. It's the Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 of the Zone. Shifting gears around that Jersey Turnpike. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. Want to remind you, come and watch the future stars of the PGA Tour. Tee it up at Oak Ridge Country Club in Farmington, June 27th through the 30th. It's the uh, Utah Championship. Don't wait till the last minute to purchase your tickets. Buy them online now at utahchampionship.com. Gordon, let's talk about your column a little bit today. Inspired by a conversation we had about college basketball yesterday. Uh, you uh, kind of uh, went a step further with the NBA. 
Yeah, I think the uh, I think it's gotten to the point now where because teams are shooting so many threes that uh, it can be, and the fact that the mid range shot is being sort of ejected from the game completely that uh, something needs to be done to bring that back into balance. And I think moving the NBA three-point line back to 27 feet would do it. Now, some people say, 27 feet? Wow, that's uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, people won't shoot it. Well, already, most uh, many, many three-pointers are coming from 25 feet. And uh, the, the NBA arc is at 23 feet 9 inches and 22 feet from the corners i think the corner three should be eliminated completely altogether yeah Hmm. i do it's too close and i think then you bring the arc around and uh, keep it at 27 feet and then uh people will think twice about shooting that shot all the time now there's still some players who can make that shot steph curry could make that shot maybe some others can as well and maybe some will be able to adjust to being able to take that shot when necessary but that would bring back the the mid-range game that uh is such a cool part of basketball i i bemoan the loss of it uh these days it's either a dunk a layup a short shot in that in the paint somewhere, or it's a three-point shot. That's what teams are doing these days. The Jazz, forty percent of the Jazz's shots this past season were three-pointers, and the Jazz were, you know, I mean, there were other teams, foremost among them the Rockets, who shot more than the Jazz did as far as the overall percentage went. Houston shot more threes than twos. The Hawks, the Bucks, the Nets, the Mavericks. And as I mentioned, the Rockets all shot had more more three point shots with greater frequency than the Jazz did, and so the Jazz aren't exactly out there hanging over the edge by themselves. And I, so I don't want to eliminate the three point shot, but I I do think bringing back the mid rangers would bring excitement to the game because I mean, think about Michael Jordan and how many shots he took that were acrobatic. It was almost like ballet. And now uh, they've done studies on this that three you're more likely, in a lot of cases with a lot of players, you're more likely to make a three than you are a mid-range shot. And so the fact that you get three points rather than two makes it a better bet. It makes it more efficient because, Jake, I don't know if you know this or not because I know you struggle with math, but three is more than two. I did I did learn that. Back we have day. gone through that on numerous occasions. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes, we have. Uh, but but that is the case. And I think 27 feet is about where the three-point shot should be. And, and and if the college guys want to move it back, don't move it back to 22 one and three-quarters inches or whatever. Move it back to 25. Move it back to where it, it should be. Uh, I, I think a three-point basket should be something extraordinary. It should be something special. Right now it's anything but. Okay, I I enjoyed the column, and I thought it was an elegant solution. I thought it was very well-reasoned. But (laughs) you think it's going to ugly everything up. No, no, no. Is it a problem? I mean, I I think your solution's on point. I, I, I like it. But is it a problem? It depends on if you like watching basketball that's either... A dunk, a layup, or a three-point shot, because that's what we're getting right now. It is exactly what we're getting. So right it's now. essentially eliminating shots 
from everywhere else on the floor. But you know what I kind of like about it? As, I, as I'm kind of sifting through uh, the, you know, what that would mean. You know what I kind of like about it? I like that there is value now on players that can do everything. You know, Rajon Rondo was a real impactful player when he was young in the league. He wouldn't necessarily be that today because he can't shoot. I like it that you have to that, that we're putting value on players that can do everything and that can shoot the basketball. Except for you don't need someone to shoot a two-point mid-range shot because it's a it's it's not efficient to do that. And so that skill is being lost. But if you can't shoot, period, then there's not as big of a place for you anymore. Well, you why need not, to be able to do it. it. So you can, if you want to take the 27-footer, go ahead and take it. Steph can do that, and others can do that. I think Damian Lillard can do that, and there are others who can do that. Go ahead and do that. But how about being able to shoot from 17 feet? But why is that more exciting than a three-point shot? Because oftentimes it's not just a spot-up shot. It's a shot where you have to move. There's, there are think of think of just think think of Michael Jordan in your mind and some of the moves he made in order to clear a shot or Kobe. But we're still seeing that. But we're seeing that from three now instead of two. Think of Kyle Lowry's step-back three that he hit in the fourth quarter last night. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose. We're I still suppose seeing those but moves. I, but I'd, just... like to see, I'd like to see shots from all over the court. Why? Because I like that. But before it was, you still were... Now you, you got guys were... camping up in the camping out in a corner over there, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for the pass uh, from for a corner three. Or a guy spotting up all around the arc, just waiting for the open pass, a drive and kick. I think Duncan, al- Duncan, fire away from three. I think we've always uh, always seen that to a certain extent, but I think now you're just okay. Let me let me put it this way: um, old school basketball, people thought that they were playing the percentages; they just had the wrong percentages. They thought the closer to the hoop, the higher uh, or the higher percent chance that the ball is going in. So that, that was we're going to play. J- Jerry so, Sloan's offense was predicated right. on that. We're going to play inside out because mm-hmm. percentage wise, we think we're giving ourselves the best chance to win. As it turns out, that, that those that's not necessarily the case when you actually dig into it and look at the percentages. Well, when so you now go through the strategy, all the, when you go through all the quotients and all that stuff, that it makes right. it worth shooting a three, which is why I want to back it up so that the probabilities essentially the rewards and the probabilities are the same from distance as they would be by taking two point shots the strategy has just changed it's just different now and that what makes it better or worse i think it's just they figured out a way to to play the percentages i think that's what everybody was has been trying to do all along it just turns out that that old inside out mentality isn't the most effective and somebody's figured out a better way or a different way, I should say. But well, does that make it better or worse? Everybody's figured that out. I mean, am I enjoying the NBA less now because I'm seeing fewer mid-range shots? Not really. I mean, I, li- I like seeing uh, Kyle Lowry take a step back three in the fourth. Why not, why not have both? Because what are we really missing out on? A Jeff Malone I, leaner? I, you're, what you're missing out on is every – yes – you're missing out on everything from seven feet to twenty three nine. And in nineteen eighty seven, I was missing out on the three. Yeah, but I'm not. I don't. That's why I say don't eliminate the three. Make it something special. 
Don't make it routine. Right now it's routine. And I say, what's the matter with it being routine? I because I, I because Jake, there's more to basketball than a dunk and a three point shot. And back in the day, there was more to basketball than a, a low post turnaround jumper, and we just didn't know it. Well, include it all. That's that's my point. If you make it, if you put that line at a certain place where it's still worth taking, but it's not the 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 <laughs> the value quotient isn't so far in the three point shot's favor that it's out of balance. Well, now it's up to defenses to adjust. And if if you want to, in Kawhi Leonard's game, for example, the mid range jumper is still very much alive. And we saw it's two. Rare. We it's saw it rare for Kawhi Leonard. No, for every. I'm talking about league wide. And I'll tell you this: two years ago, so so the Jazz have built their entire defense around this concept, right? They want not. Let's not. Let's forget about their offense for a second. Their entire defense is designed to take away the corner three and the ball at the rim. We've heard Locke talk about it a zillion times, and the Jazz are are really really good at it. So how did Houston beat the Jazz two years ago? Chris Paul beat him to death in the mid range. Because the Jazz got really good at taking away exactly what you were talking about. So Houston had to adjust and take more mid-range shots because that's what the Jazz were giving them. So and I'd like to see more of that. So you, you, we got to see defenses adjust to this new way that, that people are playing ball. It's the evolution of the game. But it won't, as long as the efficiency quotient is much greater, is weighted in the three point area, you're going to see, you're going to continue to see just those two shots dunks, layups, and three pointers. And who doesn't like seeing three pointers? And I'd like to see an occasional 21 footer. It's like that nowadays, somebody goes over to shoot a, an open 20 foot shot and everybody gasps, says, No, back up, back up. So? I don't like that. Why? Other than it's not done the same as it was back in your day. Why? Aesthetically, it's not as pleasing. Oh, it is too. I don't think so. You don't you don't love seeing some of these moves to get open threes? I love it. No, I, I, I think and, and again, it, I think it's great. Again, I'm saying balance it out, Jake. Right now it's out of balance. Well, nobody's taking a twenty seven foot step back three. That uh, Steph does. One player. They someone calculated that Steph and, and Damian Lillard and others, there's a whole list of them. That on average he does take. He's already at twenty five feet, because a lot of a big majority. I don't know if it's a majority, but a a large portion of three pointers are because the way the defense is set up at the three point line proper, you're still being jammed. And so what you do is you back up to twenty five feet and you shoot from there. And all I'm saying is okay, back it up to twenty seven. And I just think you're solving a problem that doesn't exist. I think. Well, I don't it, think it, it's a problem. It's not in your mind, but in my mind, it is. Because I want to see more mid-range shots. This just all goes back to your undying love for Magic Johnson, no, no. because you know he wouldn't be nearly the player today that he was then. It's Buck, got, it's got nothing to do. You with know that. that that Buck would be just a guy in today's NBA. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with utilizing every inch of the court uh aaron tweets and he says i re- i do really miss watching a great low post game from back in the day malone barkley olajuwon Shaq. i do really miss that back to the basket low post game i actually think you'll see the mo- low post make a return as people uh, adjust to all of this you you know there's re- there's a reason in football that running it up the gut and teams that can do that effectively are still really good teams like alabama <laughs> 
you know, because there's certain things that are, I mean, if you've got an automatic low post guy, it still carries, and I think this will be recognized more, that it still carries a tremendous uh, amount of value, even in today's day and age, even if we've forgotten about that a little bit. We talked about it with Rudy Gobert. You know, when the jazz style offense of pick and roll and shots at the rim and quarter threes isn't really working, how nice would it be to dump it down to Rudy, who's got a hook shot in his arsenal that he makes 65% of the time? All that stuff still has value. We have to see how the NBA continues to evolve because defenses will continue to react to the style of play. I don't think I don't think teams think that uh, an eight foot and out does have value. I, I don't think they see that as being valuable. It's not a smart way to play, given the rules. But I think you'll see it come around. Mm, I don't know. It's been heading in the other direction. Right. And eventually things will have to adjust to it. To think that the Jazz, 40% of their shots came from three, and the Hawks, Bucks, Nets, Mavericks, and Rockets all exceeded 40%. And how is that a problem? It is a Why problem. Why is that a problem? It's too many threes. When they when they when they put the three-point line in, it was I think it was supposed to spice things up. It wasn't supposed to become such a heavy emphasized part of the game. And now it is. So? And it's I amazing. And I don't like it. Well, it's not 1978 anymore. <laughs> Actually, the three-point line wasn't around in 78. It's not 1988. <laughs> it wasn't the ABA, wasn't it? <laughs> it's not 1988 anymore, Gordon. Yeah. People well, have figured out a different way to play. Yeah. What's the matter with that? Because I want to see all the court utilized. That's all. I mean, that's a tough thing for you to argue. I'd like to see you shots. You want to see more 12-footers. I, I want to see Why? shots from all over the place. Why? Because right now I know it's either going to be a dunk or it's going to be a three-point shot. And the way people are getting three-point shots these days is extremely exciting. It needs to be varied. A little more varied. Hmm. I disagree. Not Sports Port coming up next. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And the Zone Sports Network. Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day? Were you in the yard? Not Sports Report time. Big Show 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. Not Sports brought to you by our friends at the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online at LHMUsedCars.com. Gordon, as we mentioned earlier, it's the 75th anniversary of D-Day. The invasion in Normandy during World War II. One of um, the biggest uh, days in our country's history. Yeah, one of my bucket list items to get on over there and see it with my own eyes. I hear it is just just, uh, mind-boggling to walk among those uh, memorials that they have over there for so many U.S. soldiers and British soldiers and Canadian soldiers and others who are part of that that. Huge undertaking. And, of course, General Eisenhower was the architect of that invasion, Mm -hmm. um, future President Eisenhower. Um, And uh, we thought it would be appropriate to air his uh, uh, him addressing the armed forces before that invasion and uh, hearing his words. Austin. Soldiers, sailors and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You are about to embark upon the Great Crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. 
in company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Amazing. Wow, man, you get chills listening to that, thinking that that was the last communication between uh, the Grand Commander and uh, and his troops before they they really did fa- uh, face that hail of bullets that uh, we've all read and uh, and heard about. One interesting story uh, is that uh, Eisenhower had written a statement if the invasion failed and had it in his pocket that day. And I I find uh, that statement inspiring, actually. He says, our landings in the Cherbourg Harv area have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold, and I have uh, withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based on the best information available. The troops, uh, the air, and the Navy did all the bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to the uh, the attempt, it is mine alone, unquote. Mm. Yeah. That is leadership. Yeah, sure is. He yeah. was a, a, an amazing person, and so many amazing people uh, had to come together and operate as one uh, to make that effective. And like he, like uh, General Eisenhower said right there, that includes uh, uh, soldiers on other fronts and, and the folks at home and everybody in the Navy and, and not the Air Force at the time, but airmen and soldiers to, to come together and accomplish something uh, that a lot of people thought impossible for years, and it's pretty, it's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and you look at uh, all the all the uh, lengths to which they went to uh, sort of fool the German army, the Nazi army, as far as where that landing was going to take place. And uh, man, it was illustrated in the film Saving Private Ryan because you, when you look at those old films of the soldiers, you know that one that's up against the cliff and it shows that ones those two soldiers that fall down after being shot. Mm-hmm. Where everyone, we've seen that a thousand times over and over again, and you wonder who that soldier was, uh, but uh, and how difficult it was to undertake that. But you think hide, find a place to get away from it, and it's like dodging raindrops, you know? All those machine guns and all those heavy uh, heavy weaponry all laid across that, that coast, and it seems like Omaha Beach, where the Americans hit, along with Utah Beach, uh, was uh, just about the toughest assignment of all of them. Yeah, Omaha was, was particularly violent. They had to get up those cliffs. Yeah. 
And uh, you're right about the the like the misinformation. I mean, General Patton had an entire fake army. Yeah. Uh, to to fool the Germans into thinking that uh, that Normandy was just a feint. Yeah, and they had those uh, sort of inflatable tanks yep. and whatnot that were on the coast of England. Uh, yeah, I think they they did uh, everything they could to make that as effective as possible. And look, Normandy wasn't the only invasion in that war. There were all kinds of invasions in other places, other parts of the world that took place. It seems like this one gets a lot of attention because it was going up against the Nazi war machine. But uh, And it was the biggest. It, it was, and, but they had big ones in the Pacific, too. I they mean, did. There were hundreds of D-Days during mm-hmm. World War II. Uh, but, but that one was kind of the, the biggest one and the one we think of. And you think of the soldiers of all kinds uh, during that war who were in the air, were on the sea, were on the ground, and uh, all the lo- the human cost was just mind-boggling when you think about it. But you look at what the history books say that, what, some 50 million people died because of that conflict? Mm-hmm. Pretty uh, hard to comprehend, but uh, the people who saved the world, essentially, uh, how can you give them enough credit? Did you have any family who served in that war? I'm sure I did. Uh, my dad would have uh, served in it, but he I think he was reassigned to something else because he had a bad knee, and uh, so he, they assigned him to other duty. He was not, but I had many family, extended family members who were over serving in Italy, serving in the Pacific, serving in Europe. So uh, it's it's pretty uh, sobering, humbling stuff. My grandpa served under Patton in North Africa. Really? And then uh, was part of Merrill's Marauders in Burma. So he was in two pretty hot spots. And he made it, huh? And I was, uh, that's always been such a source of pride for me. This is your grandpa? Mm-hmm. Wow. My grandpa on my mom's side. And he was, so he served under Patton. Remember in the movie when they call him Old Blood and Guts? And the one soldier says, Our blood, his guts? Yep. He wasn't the soldier that was uh, berated by uh, Patton. Nope. And that was in Sicily, by the way. Oh, it wasn't okay. in North Africa. He never okay. made it to Sicily, or never went to Sicily. He was then transferred into a different theater, mm. went into the jungle. It's, it's, it's healthy, I think, for all of us to take a minute and just uh, pay tribute yep. to those who have gone before, heroes, really, those who survived and those who uh, most unfortunately and tragically uh, passed away in the attempt to save the world, which was eventually accomplished at great price. Eric Walden of the Salt Lake Tribune covers the jazz. He joins us coming up next. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.